לשידור ישיר ממחנה רמה בברקשיירס. Welcome to another edition of Parsha Talk. I'm Rabbi Elliot Malman in Highland Park, New Jersey, the Highland Park Conservative Temple Congregation on Shemit. Joining me, my good friends, Rabbi Barry Chesler, Solomon Schechter Day School, Long Island, Rabbi Jeremy Kalmanovsky, Anshay Chesed, New York City, sabbatical. Rabbi Kalmanovsky, great to see you guys. We have an amazing Parsha. We always do. And we're going to find something very, very interesting about Parsha Tzav, which many people, let's face it, it, when, once it starts talking about sacrifice and, you know, this is the way to do it, uh, people kind of say, uh, let's, let's, let's fast forward to the good parts and to Kiddush. But let me ask you at the beginning, how, how should we relate or how, how to understand the first part of this Parsha, which deals with, I guess, more of the details relating to the sacrifice. And we're going to talk about the second part in a moment. So I, I'm going to, Go to you, Barry. Tell us how you relate to Zot Torat Ha Ola. So, for the rabbis, Sefer Vayikra is Torat Kohanim. And Borach Levine observes in his commentary that Torat Kohanim has two meanings it's the teaching of the priests, of their domain, and it's also teaching for the priests. So, what we had last week in the first five chapters of Vayikra are the sacrifices the way that B'nai Israel has to understand them. What you bring, when you bring it, what happens. This week in chapters 6 and 7, we get the the sacrifices from the point of view of the priests. So there are fewer details because the priests pretty much know what they're doing. And there are a few things that they need to be reminded of. And so it provides a nice coda for last week's Parsha because we now have a complete unit, the first seven chapters of priestly teaching and teaching for the priests as well and so and so you know reading through these the you know the, the first two chapters of the parsha what we get is we really have a, a kind of menu the menu again in detail of all the different sacrifices so for example you have the ola the burnt offering the mincha the meal offering uh the um uh the priestly offering the uh chatat the asham and, and again, it takes us into a world in which there are specific kinds of sacrifices for specific kinds of occasions, and there are specific ways to do them. Right, and we can actually see a kind of reorganization of the material because the Zevach Shlamim, which was the third of the five sacrifices last week, is now moved to the end because that's the one sacrifice that everyone gets a cut, God, the priest, and the offerer, so it's put at the end. The interesting one here is the minchat miluim, because it's hard to categorize that. On one hand, it's a grain offering. On the other hand, because it's offered on behalf of the priest, it has to totally be burned to God. So it should go with the olah in some ways. On the other hand, it should go after the mincha, because it's a variation of the mincha, which is how it appears here in the list at the end of chapter 7. 
I was going to say when when you said everybody gets a cut, you should say everybody. Some people should get the prime cut. <laughs> well, God, God apparently gets the best. God gets the best, but there's still there's still some good cuts left over, I suppose. Right. <laughs> well, the priest doesn't come off, but you know the funny thing, at least for me, is that apparently the Israelites ate their sacrifice boiled. They boiled it, yeah. So that's yeah, and. I'm just reminded of my grand, my father, who grew up in a house with his grandmother, who made Friday night dinner. But she had a very circumscribed menu. The only thing she knew how to make was chicken soup. So my father grew up in a house eating boiled chicken every Friday night. And as soon as he left home, he never ate chicken again. Look, boiled chicken is not that bad. And boiled, you know, I mean, it, it depends. You know, in my old days. Uh, a lot of ketchup, a lot of ketchup. <laughs> All right. Well, I, you know, I think that the, um, I, I think that the sacrificial system, you know, I, I hasten to add that when I see as, as is true that there are people in this world today who, you know, who want to reinstitute it for real and build a new Beit HaMikdash on the Temple Mount and implicitly, or maybe not so implicitly, explicitly, um, you know, remove the Dome of the Rock. Um, this is horrifying to me. Uh, you know that would be a, an utter, utter disaster. But I am also not in the camp of people who um, don't find, you know, who, who find this like bizarre or uninteresting or primitive, or because I think that there's an enormous amount of poetic power in um, the sense of communion, of sharing, as, as Barry said, sharing this meal between heaven and earth, um, uh, of aesthetics and art. You know, and the, the poetic power of of um, you know, the perpetual fire, the fire is always going. That just has a tremendous spiritual resonance. How could that not have a spiritual resonance that that the fire that is in the, the physical fire that is used in the rituals is representative of spiritual fire that you're also supposed to to, to have have going. And uh, I think it's profound. Um you know, also, we were talking before we started recording about the enormous gaps between uh, uh, rabbinic Judaism and biblical Judaism. And would, would biblical Israelites have even understood or recognized, you know, Judaism as it developed? And in the main, I'm in the category of people who, you know, I, I, in the main, I don't think that there's such a strong criticism of, of what went before. In the main, I think that the rabbis are developing it. But there's this awesome midrash that's on Vekra Rabbi in this parasha. A great, great, great midrash that that talks about the demands for purity and perfection. The animals have to be perfect, and the priests have to be perfect, physically unblemished, and they can't have this or that disability, or they can't have this or that wound. And they're trying to create this perfect thing. And the midrash on this says, quoting quoting the verse Psalm Psalm fifty one, Zivche Elohim ruach nishvira, uh, the true sacrifice to God is a contrite spirit, and and the the Midrash goes, um, if people use broken vessels, that's like, you know, you're, you're just like a, a, you're, you're, you're kind of a loser. Like you're, you, you eat up broken plates and you, everything in your life is kind of a mess, but God uses only broken vessels. God uses only Kelim Shvurim, like, because the, 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 only the broken vessels, the, the Ruach Nishbira, the broken or contrite spirit. That's the true offering to God. That's like the rabbis coming as close as they possibly do to say, yeah, all that purity stuff, all that perfection stuff, we don't have that. We have 
broken heartedness and open, you know, heart, your heart's broken open or something like that. Uh, that's that's just a great midrash. Well, I, I, I want to yeah, I want to pick no. up on that because 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 I think I think, and I, I get sometimes very literal in in reading this and saying you know that there's a profound I don't want to use the word spectacle but there's a profound awe in all of this we we, we kind of touched on that with the fire the blood and and just the you know the the approaching the the boundary between life and death and also don't forget that that in the process of of bringing the sacrifice there's a lot of severing and sectioning and cutting going on where a hole is taken and made into pieces and then the pieces then then are put on the altar as a new hole and and made into a new hole and so you know building on what you said jeremy in terms of you know the the brokenness well yeah we, we we're not always in a permanent state of brokenness but we're in a state of moving from brokenness to wholeness to brokenness to wholeness and that and that life itself is about reconstituting ourselves in different forms through different periods you know look we're we're we're, we're sitting here miles thousands of miles away from a, a shattering world epoch making experience where an entire country is being crushed and shattered you know and and we're in the hope that you know something i mean we're, we're, we don't see the end of this yet but we'll, we'll the question Will something new emerge from that? Who knows? I mean, it's terrifying to even think about. And I think that the the temple ritual captures in some way that terrifying nature, because you know, those of us who are sentient, we all are sentient to 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 a certain degree about animals, living things. You know, it's alive, it's dead, it's you know, breathing, it's bleeding. You know, you cannot be but moved by that. And then it's it's whole, it's taken into pieces, and it's reconstituted. So something very powerful is going on there, just on 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 the the visceral level. I mean, <laughs> visceral. Oh, we have a lot of viscera in these parshiot. Um, <laughs> what I wanted to add to what Jeremy said is that the offerer is broken, but yeah. the offering must be perfect. Yeah. And it makes a distinction between us as the offerer and what we bring to God. Right. And we can't be perfect, but we can seek to bring perfect things to God. Right. And well, we shouldn't think that in our imperfection that we're lacking, because that's how we approach God wholly. You know, it was Nachman of Braslav who said, "There's nothing so whole as a broken heart." Yeah. This is why. This is why we have to. We have to. Uh, this is the moment in which all Western English-speaking American Jews refer to. The great Reb Eliezer Ben Natan, Leonard Cohen. Oh yes, of course. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Forget you know, ring the bells that still can ring. Forget your perfect offering. There's a crack, a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. That's how the light gets. He in. was so good, and yeah. and you can tell with a with a with a pasuk like that that he he, he probably knew that midrash because he did have a great Jewish education, but he certainly knew the theme of sacrificial perfection and human imperfection. Okay, so so just give us a, a, a little footnote, a postscript. So the, the text does does make mention of a, of a commandment that that appears several times. A restriction on the consumption of blood. We may have touched on it in the past, but it's worth reminding our viewers, listeners about it. What What's going on here with the restriction against blood? Just a... Uh, since I, spent, I mentioned ketchup, 
<laughs> blood, blood, blood is seen to be the life force. And you also can't eat chelev, these kind of fats. They're, they're for the sacrificial. But, but if, if, if the animal is, is, is uh, nevelao trefa, if the animal is like died or not shechted in a kosher, you can, it says in the Torah today, you can, or this parsha, you can use the fat, presumably as some sort of maybe, maybe candles or something, I, however it is sure. that they re- rendered fat. But no blood, no, never, nowhere, uh, wherever it is that you live, or perhaps in the land of Israel, but not outside the land of Israel. I'm not sure about that. Um, but the blood is seen to be the life force. There's a Mishnah in, uh, in Nidarim that says, you know, what's the difference between kosher animals and treif animals? In tra- kosher animals, I, God, own the soul and I give you the body. In treif animals, I, God, keep the soul and the body. Mm-hmm. So I, you can have the body, but the life is like symbolized it. by the blood belongs to God. Okay. So let's move into the second half of this Parsha, which is, I think it, as, as silent as it is, it's filled with a choreography and it's filled with symbolism and it's, it's meaningful in ways that we can draw out meaning. This, let's call this, this section, the ordination of the priest or the, the, the getting ready, the, the, the ceremonies that are, uh, important for inaugurating the sanctuary so just the scene is everything is built everything is kind of ready to go but the the operators are not are not installed yet the people that are going to be doing all of the sacred rituals they're not installed and these people are presently not in that state and they need to be taken from the state of their ordinariness to the state of readiness and and um let, let's let's you know we, we should go into this it, the, the 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 chapter starts kach et aharon vet banav in chapter eight take aaron god is saying to moses moses is like the officiant right you take them take aaron and his sons so he's got clothing and he's got the oil the anointing oil he's got the parachatat the Sin offering, the cow, the bull. He's got one bull, two rams, and a basket of matzah. Okay? What's, what's going to happen now? <laughs> Want to take us, take us into this ritual here? Let, let me be the ritual guide, okay? You, you, you'll be the I'll, I'll do the ritual guide. So, okay, so they're, 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 they're going to sacrifice... They're going to slaughter the the bull. They're going to pour blood of the bull onto the horns of the altar, and he's probably going to take more blood and put it on the base of the altar. And that kind of gets the altar started. And then they're going to take the one of the rams, and that's going to be a complete burnt offering. And the other ram is going to be hacked up, and Moses will get the one of the big pieces of it, the chest piece. And the and the other priests are going to get the other parts of it. They have to boil it like your grandmother or grandfather, right? Okay. And over over time, they they all get anointed with oil. They all they all have this experience where oil is is anointed them, and and we're not exactly sure how it anoints them. Is it on their forehead or their whatever? It's they're they're covered with oil, and then they're 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 given a little bit of blood 
that's put on their ear, their right thumb, and their right toe. Okay? I think this is at the point where people read this where they kind of like, thank you, I'll, I'll take the check, please. You know, but, but uh, so, so the experience of this is, is the experience of consecration. Um, and, as, and as, as at least partly um, emphasized by the word lehakriv. Lehakriv typically means you offer the animal, but it also says that Moses, uh, I'm trying to find the verse um, itself right here, Vayakrev Moshe et b'nei Aharon, Vayal b'shem kutonot v'yachgorotam avnei, that Moses brings uh, the children of Aaron near. It's the same word that he would use to offer an animal. Yes. Because the bringing these people into their human service is itself, like you said, um, uh, uh, a, a sacrifice, not, not in the sense that they're going to be killed, although two of them are going to be killed. See you next week. Um, uh, but a sacrifice in the sense that they are made sacred. Okay. So, so now on that theme then of coming close, I think embedded in this story is a, is like a trauma. There's a, there's a, this, we talked about it a little bit last week. It's like, are you going to be accepted? And it's the fear of rejection. And, and coming close is dangerous. Coming close to God is really dangerous. And I would say that one of the ways to understand the whole architecture of all of these rituals, which seems so foreign to us and so distant, is precisely the awareness of the danger involved in doing this. I, I made the, the analogy to, you know, you're, 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 you're operating a nuclear reactor. If you operate a nuclear reactor, you you need to be protected from the core. You need to be removed from it. You need to be wearing a special you know set of of equipment and protective gear because if you if you do one wrong move, you can have a Chernobyl. You can have a total meltdown. You could you could endanger the world basically. And and uh, it's it's not far fetched to to make the analogy that the the priests in the temple feel their role so central to the operating of the world and the connecting connection of God to the world that they are taking meticulous care of this, even at the the cost of maybe morality. They 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 they're not they'll, they'll operate the laws by the law, even even if it's may not seem right to them. You think? I mean, that's that's the inevitable conflict that happens. Barry, you want to? Yeah, I wanted to say a couple of things. First of all, it, to point towards next week, it's interesting in light of your comments to speculate on whether we think the deaths of Nadav and Avihu are acceptance or rejection. They're going to die, according to some of the commentaries, because they get too close. But then there's Moses' cryptic words to Aaron about how the those who are holy... Be, Come close to me. Um, but we can save that for next week. The other thing that is suggestive in, in what you said is that we look at the Kohen, and the Kohen's clothes also have to be consecrated because there's this kind of seamlessness between the Kohen and his clothes. We don't want to keep them separate. When the ear and the thumb and the big toe are anointed, the Kohen becomes like the altar itself. That's right. That's and so right. that the Kohen himself is embodying two different aspects of the physical world. 
He's the altar on one hand and the special person in one. I would and, say, and you special know, clothing. The, the clothing, I think, is also a great, a great piece of evidence for that point. They're called Big Day Hasrad. And Srad, I think, in the, uh, I think it, it's like the word Sharet. It's, it's the, the clothing that is itself a service, itself, itself worship. So I think that draped on their bodies is, you know, is, is their service. So I, on the on the notion of of making the the Kohen a, a a kind of walking altar, which is such a fascinating idea, you know, there's the, the another explanation that that these are protections that by by putting blood on the extremities, the ear, the thumb, and the toe, there's a kind of warding off of of disease. But I, I think I'm inclined to the to the altar interpretation in light of the fact that that um, I don't know if you remember back when we were talking about the Korban Pesach uh, in Parshat Bo, uh, where you take the blood and you put it on the doorpost and the lintel. And, and on the one hand, that functions as a protection for the house, but it also makes the house into a kind of enclosed altar, right? Because here in this, in this chapter, what they're doing is in order to consecrate the altar and in, uh, to enable them to use it as an altar, they put blood on it. Blood is an indexing. It, it says this is what it is. And so, and, and the altar in the sanctuary was going to be the permanent altar for, for the people, even though it got assembled and disassembled. Um, and But the homes of the Israelites, that was temporary. I mean, they were leaving it, but it had to still maintain some kind of consecration for the holy act that they were doing, which was the sacrifice of, of the Korban Pesach, which is essentially a Zevach Shlamim, a, a well-being offering that they were all going to feast on. And, and it's prior to all of these rules where they, you know, they didn't separate the, the chelev and they didn't cut it into pieces. They roasted it whole. It, in a sense, it's a, it, it's a primitive form of, of, this, um, of this kind of offering, okay? So, 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 I mean, all these things are happening here and, and they're, we're, we're coming close to... Yeah to the meanings of these and the symbolism of that. And it's very powerful. I just want to say there's a, there was a, uh, he's dead. He was uh, a late uh, Jonathan Z. Smith was his name. He was a professor of religion at the university of Chicago. And he wrote that he wrote about holiness. He said, holiness is a method or a marking of paying attention. Yeah. To designate something and say, this is incredibly significant. That could be a time, it could be a person, it could be a place. And I think for those of us who are diaspora Jews, I mean, Israeli Jews too, but if you believe that God is the God of the cosmos, right? And you should believe that. And if, if you believe that God is everywhere and you should believe that, the whole idea of sacred places doesn't always go down so easily. God can be found in anywhere. Um, but in our uh, religious cultures, we do designate certain places, certain activities, certain things as this is what you must pay attention to. And all of this stuff, marking the Kohanim in that way, marking their clothing in that way, marking the altar and the, and the Mishkan, um, it's, it's, I think, a very powerful claim that if you, you know, w- with this, uh, in this context, you can pay attention and see sanctity in a, in a way you can't see it everywhere. Sure, sure. Barry, you want to add something? Or... Yeah, I just wanted to add something. The way you describe the, the Korban Pesach in Mitzrayim is quite striking because 
what we have here is the ultimate priestly act. By daubing the blood on the lintel, this is going to separate life from death because those who are inside are going to live and those who are outside are going to die. And so the house itself becomes an altar. And we know from a later tradition in the book of Exodus that the altar itself can protect people. Um, if you grab onto it, you're provided sanctuary. And those houses in Egypt were a kind of uh, Mikdash Mad, a little sanctuary for the Israelites on that fateful night. It all lines up. It all it all comes together. And that's, that's you know, the more we delve into these uh these symbols, these rituals, I think the more we see that that they're actually speaking to a real narrative. And the other point of this, before we move on to the last point, which is this is all done in silence. And, and um, you know, contrary to, you know, great inaugural uh, festivals like coronations or inaugurations, you know, you, you think back, you know, of course, the inauguration of president is a is a great secular political event, but it, it happens with pomp and ceremony, music, bands, you know, invocations, poetry, all the rest. And, you know, I, I showed this week the, the coronation of Queen Elizabeth, 70s, 1953. God bless her. God bless the queen, right? She, so, so it was done with, with choirs and music and all sorts of, you know, great pomp and ceremony, clothing, etc. All of this is done in silence. It's it's done in si such austerity because, you know, once you're in the sacred confines of of holiness, you know, there's nothing else but God. And and even you know, and this is this is um, an idea that that is reflected on by one scholar pretty pretty deeply. Uh, Israel Noel talks about the the sanctuary of silence that that you really heard nothing going on there. And that that's it's quite profound. Everything, all the singing was going on outside of uh, these these areas, but in inside, it was all quiet, all holy, all pure. Yeah. So that silent sacrifice is an echo of the great sacrifice in Sefer Breshit, absolutely, which is when Abraham puts his son Isaac in total silence upon the altar. The first absolutely. sound that we hear is the ram. So is it an accident? Yeah, that that, that we have two rams here. One is a burnt offering, and one is a a meal, uh, you know, uh, uh, the ordination offering. the The ram of the of the inauguration is the is the burnt offering. And I mean, you know, I, you don't have to be a Bible scholar to make the connection here. You know, the the ram that that uh, was at the Akeda, you know, that was a substitute for 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 Isaac. I mean, are we hearkening back to the Akeda here? Do you think? Could be. Hard, it's I, hard not to think that. It's hard, hard not yeah. to think. That. Okay. And, and you know, the, the also, also, by the way, the um, the holiday off rams. I, I don't, I don't know my my ovines that well, but uh, <laughs> the sacrifices are typically cows or sheep and goats. Rams are in the asham. Rams are in the holiday musafim, and the rams are here. Uh, I guess the 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 nazir also has. An aisle, but whatever. Maybe there's something going on about what's like a really domesticated versus what is a a wild, absolutely. And your computer also has RAM. There you go. Okay. <laughs> all right. Speaking of which, all right. So, so the 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 parsha ends with this. Okay. Ufetach ol moed teshvu yomam valayla. The priests who are being consecrated, they have to stay at the opening of the tent of meeting, day and night, shivat yamim. They have to be there for seven days. They, they're in a sense sequestered in the holy area. 
and we were talking about this a, a little before we started, which is this whole idea of of the transition period, the seven day transition period. It's such a fascinating idea, such a fascinating idea. Okay, so for, you know, Jeopardy, where else do we see that in Judaism? A seven day transitional period, Barry? <laughs> well, the week would be the first thing that comes to mind, which culminates in Shabbat. The primary the ordering feature of a Jewish life is the okay, week. Shiva, the seven days of mourning after the death of a close relative. The Sheva Brachot, we had a wedding in uh, of one of the faculty members at my school this past Sunday. So there's Sheva Brachot for seven days. We uh, rejoice with the bride and groom. Um, and then here we have this ordination. And I think in each case, we have the symbolism of creating a world that at the end of the week, we're, we have a new world. And for mourners, it's the transition and learning how to come back into a world without their loved one. Yeah. For the married couple, it is becoming one in the world as a couple when they entered it as single individuals. And here, I think for Aaron and his sons, it is becoming something other than who they were before. Yes. It's, it's a real transition. I mean, I'll add to it Brit Milah, which takes place on the eighth day, but that means seven days have gone by. And, and of course, the main holidays, Sukkot and Pesach, which are also yeah. seven-day festivals. Yeah. One, one more, one more. And it relates to Brit Milah exactly. Brit Milah is, is, a, is a clean week, and then the eighth day is the, is the thing, uh, is the circumcision. The, the, the Miluim are seven days, and Bayom Hashmini, Indeed. next week's Parsha, the eighth day is the consecration. Also, by the way, just one, one other is the, um, that a baby animal is not to be killed in its first week of life. Yes. Um, you, it stays seven days, Tachat uh, Imo, nursing from its mother. But from the eighth day forward, it would be acceptable as a sacrifice. So they definitely have a, have a system of thinking that a week, is the status change, the, the morning, the celebrating, the baby, the baby animal, the holiday, it's, it's, a, it's a week, it's one week of, of status changing. You know, it's, it's such a, it's a fundamental uh, aspect of, of just the way we, we live. We tell time, you know, basically by weeks. You know, I think not, never mind the, you know, biblical experiences, biblical uh, ritual, but, but also in life, of course, you know, we have the morning rituals uh, of Shiva, but um, I'm thinking, I remember back to 9-11 and, and other catastrophic moments, you know, there was, it was something when a week passed, right? And so a week is the, 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 the basic unit of time that, that allows for you to transition from one zone to another zone. And, and here we're seeing that um, very directly. And I think all rituals um, have that element to it. They're all boundaries of from one zone to another zone. We talked about the life cycle rituals, you know, even a bar mitzvah, even though a bar mitzvah doesn't take place for over a week, you know, we, we truly get the sense that the the moment that that individual, that young person, you know, emerges, they it's the transition away from childhood and to the beginning of adulthood. And while it doesn't take place over seven days, you know, certainly I've, I've noticed in, in, you know, celebrating a few myself in my family that that week, you know, the week after a bar bar mitzvah, 
It's a great week. I've I, I've never been disappointed by it. It's there's a certain glow that lasts um, for that whole week. That you know, look what we did. Look at this. This is amazing. You're amazing. Your kid's amazing. Whatever. And and it's a and there's real simcha there. And and I, I I've experienced it you know many many times. And and I often tell families you know when they're experiencing that that you know so you're going to see something different and. You're going to be on a high. You're going to be. There's going to be a different kind of lightness for that whole week, and then of course the next week comes and it's gone <laughs> because you have to. You have to. I don't know. Pay for it. <laughs> you got to pay for it. <laughs> anyway, um, all right. We got some. We got some thoughts as as we conclude this. We're 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 we're. Um, I know we, we we recorded a few things before Purim, but we're we're doing this on the day before Purim. But this will be after Purim, and uh, we got Shabbat Parah coming up next. Well, we got a lot of things coming up, but uh, we have some closing thoughts here. A benediction, Rabbi Rabbi Sabbatical Kalmanovsky. <laughs> the closing words. The closing one. words. I don't know. Uh... Asher Tiva Adonai et Biad Moshe. That's the last word of the of the Vayas Aronu Vanav et Kol Advarim Asher Tiva Adonai Biad Moshe. That's a coda to this parsha. Right? Well, this Leviticus is, you know, and of everything else, it, it is very tightly written, and and it's impressive in that way. I, I, I'm I'm just going to go with the with the with the uh, for for a final word. We we'll go back to the beginning of the parsha. Yeah. Keep the perpetual fire going. Don't let it go out. Don't let it go out. You got to keep like the fire that. going. And that is is like everybody's everybody's uh, religious mission, spiritual yes. mission. Good. Recognize the fire. Keep the keep keep it, keep it burning. All right. With that, we've kept our Parsha talk burning. We're over two years now in Parsha talk land, and it's yeah. great. All right, so uh, everyone have a wonderful Shabbos, Shabbat Shalom. We'll see you next Shabbat week Shalom. on another edition of Parsha Talk.